Hey everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who. Are you ready for the crazy hype we are about to see surrounding the Spurs and Wimby? Are you ready for what the hot mess that this next month and a half is about to be? I'm very completely honest. I'm just happy the Spurs got it because. You know, I'm a big Coach Pop fan, and I kind of hated seeing him kind of starting to go, like, not winning games. So I hopefully he can get Wimby, make a couple, like, winning seasons, maybe make the playoffs and go out on top. So I'm actually not that bothered by it. I love I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I mean, I would love that for Coach Pop just because, I mean, he is one of, if not the greatest coach of all time. So I would like for him to go out doing well. Um, yeah, we got a packed show for you guys today. We're going to talk to the Zedarius Smith trade to the Cleveland Browns and where does the duo of him and Miles Garrett rank among the rest of the league. We're going to do an in-depth NFL schedule breakdown, which is always a blast and a half. And with the NBA, we got a lot to talk about from Monty Williams and Doc Rivers to getting fired to Ja Moran's upcoming suspension to what's next for the semifinals losers. We got a lot of ground to go- cover. So let's go ahead, without further ado, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. But of course, I got to throw a plug in. Be sure to head over to the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Let's start off with something easy. The Houston Texans made t- two big moves this week. First, they extended guard Shaq Mason to a three-year, $36 million extension, providing some extra coverage up front for their new quarterback, C.J. Stroud. And they added to their secondary by signing former Seattle Seahawks and Jacksonville Jaguar Shaquille Griffin on a one-year, uh, $2 million deal. So how do you like this? I'm sorry, I lied. Uh, yeah, it's $2 million worth up to four and a half mil. So, how do you like these couple of moves for the Texans? Do you think that, I know they're not like groundbreaking moves, but do you think they help to kind of keep them in the conversation with the rest of the AFC North? Uh, I like the Shaq. I like the extending of Shaq Mason. I mean, you can never go wrong when he's extending offensive linemen. The um, Shaquem Griffin signing. I think that's okay. He he had a couple, if I'm not mistaken, maybe one or two good seasons in Seattle. Then went to Jack, Jacksonville and kind of went back to being a pedestrian corner. Um, in terms of keeping toe with the AFC South, I don't see it happening. Even if they didn't make these moves or if they made better moves, I think this division's prime for the taking for Jacksonville. Um, Especially if Tennessee potentially trades Derrick Henry. If that happens, then I think it's Jacksonville's division to lose. I would even say with Derrick Henry in tow, it's still Jacksonville's division to lose. But one thing about the Titans are they are going to be competitive. Their roster may not be sexy, and they may not have a whole bunch of name-brand players, but Mike Vrabel is a terrific coach, and he's gonna they're going to fight tooth and nail, even in games when you think they shouldn't. But, I, like I said, I still think it's the Jags division. But I think the Texans, um, depending on the development of DJ Stroud, can mess around and be pretty good. 
All right, let's go ahead and talk the Browns making that move for Zadarius Smith, a move that, despite my personal feelings towards the Browns, I got to admit, it's a terrific move. They bring in the veteran um, for the cost of two fifth-round picks, one for next year and then one for the year after that. And they will be getting uh, Zadarius Smith as well as a 2025 sixth-round pick and a 2025 seventh-round pick. For the Vikings, this clears up uh, 12.5. 12.15 million in cap space and for the Browns uh Zedarius has restructured his deal so he's going to make around 11 mil this year and then be a free agent this offseason but forget the logistics just the thought of seeing him and Miles Garrett coming off the edge that is a pretty respectable tandem Ethan in your opinion where does that rank among the rest of the league I'm going to be honest I might have to put them in number one um because Miles Gary is in the top three. You could go him, um, Micah, Nick Bosa, shoot, Joey Bosa. He's in the top, and TJ. He's in the upper echelon of pass rushes. And then Zadarius Smith has been a really dominant force as well from a pass rush standpoint. Like, I can't really think of, like, I can't think of a secondary pass rusher that's better than Zadarius right now if he's sitting next to Miles Garrett in my mind. Right now, I have them at three. I got Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, and then Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence ahead of them. Yeah, I can see the argument. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a terrific duo for sure. A move that they needed because it's everybody knows how great Miles Garrett has been. However, it just they have not consistently been able to get somebody on the opposite side of him, which is created if Miles Garrett ain't getting no pressure, he's not getting any sacks. Nobody's getting any sacks, so this allows them a lot of flexibility to be able to uh, deal with that. So it's a terrific move. But all right, let's go ahead and break down the NFL schedule and like everything else, we got to start with Week One. Let's go ahead and talk the most exciting week one game in our opinion. Ethan, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll let you go first. All right, bet. For me, this is weird that this is the most exciting one, but I'm going Chiefs and Lions. I mean, obviously, Chiefs are coming off of a Super Bowl year. One could argue they may be even better than that last year after some of the additions they moves, uh, they've made this offseason, such as bringing in a Rasheed Rice, uh, drafting Felix Anadike out of Kansas State, and just other offseason moves. And then, plus, you get another great year of Patrick Mahomes. If you're the Chiefs, you're sitting pretty. But more importantly, if you're the Lions, for you to be considered good enough to not only get a primetime game week one, but to do so against the reigning Super Bowl champions, and like Dan Campbell said, everyone, them doing that means they expect us not to get our butt kicked. I mean, our butts kicked. I mean, that's a lot of high praise, and it shows just how much growth the Lions have had over the past few years, and I'm excited to see how they uh, stack up. I think I'm actually in the greens with you on the Lions versus KC. Just because, actually, no, I'm going to say the Chargers versus the Dolphins because I think there's just going to be, like, I think there could be, like, remember that game a couple of years ago? when it was the Chiefs versus the Rams oh, and they, they broke they combined for over 100 points on Monday Night Football? Yeah. I think I could see this game being somewhere close to that because, like, you're looking at Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, um, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnson. They're looking at two, uh, two with Tyreek and Jalen. 
like I think it's gonna be like a bunch of points put on the board. So I think that's the one I'm most excited for. That absolutely is a banger, and I mean, I don't, I wouldn't think you'd be interested in that because you're a defensive guy. Do you want to see all them points scored? I mean, it ain't gonna be against my team, so yeah. You know, when you put it like that, you make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and move on to our top Sunday night football game. They're the most intriguing one. For me, I'm going Broncos versus Vikings week 11. Y'all know how much I love me some Russell Wilson. And this is going to be a redemption season for my brother-in-law. And looking at the Vikings, I mean, I'm very excited to see how this new look offense is going to be. How is Jordan Addison going to, like, replace Adam Thielen? By week 11, we should kind of get a feel for what this offense is going to look like. I want to see what this Vikings defense is going to look like under um, – Oh, my gosh. Brian Flores. Yes, they haven't made too too many moves to improve it. But, I mean, let's be honest. The Broncos offense struggled a lot last year. So, I want to see how these two developing groups go against each other. And then, you know, who doesn't want to see Jay Jettis versus Pat Sertan? That's true. For me, I am going to say it's going to have to be the, the Chiefs versus the Jets. Um, you get – the Wonder Boy Patrick Mahomes versus the old Saints veteran Aaron Rodgers on his new team. Two, arguably, in a lot of people's minds, the two best talents ever at quarterback going against each other at different points of their careers. And, like, again, it's, it's Aaron Rodgers and Grant, and not even Grant Bay, but it's Aaron Rodgers in New York. So I feel like all of this, this whole season is about to be supremely overhyped from that standpoint. They already got, what, four or five primetime games? I know they got uh, Monday Night Football Week 1 against the Bills and a lot more games. And then they got the Black Friday game against Miami. So, oh, don't worry. You're going to see a lot of Aaron Rodgers in that game green. Um, All right, let's go ahead and move on to the best holiday game. Low-key, the Thanksgiving games this year are kind of mid. Um, The Christmas games, in my opinion, are much better thus leading me to the Ravens versus 49ers on Christmas Day is a Super Bowl rematch. New look Ravens. And fingers crossed a healthy Lamar in week 16. Please, Lord, we haven't had that for a couple years. Um, And then just the 49ers, still a dominant defense despite some of the losses. And their offense maybe led by Brock Purdy. Who knows, maybe Trey Lance can take over the reins. I think that this could be a really, really good game. Yeah, I'm in agreement. the Ravens versus Excuse me, 49ers is by far the best holiday game this season. All right, let's go ahead and talk revenge game. I'm going with the uh, I'm going with the Eagles versus uh, 49ers week 13 because from players to coaches in San Francisco, they are talking about getting their lick back against Philly. For example, uh, Kyle Shanahan recently talked about the upcoming game and said, I'm glad that we're not playing Philly week one. I want them at a better time. I want to make sure our whole team is right there. We feel like we didn't get to do that last time, and I'm ready to go back again. I'm ready for it, too, because everybody in Philly's talking about, oh, if we would have had a quarterback, if we would have had more than 10 players on the field, we would have won, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's your opportunity to show it I'm going I gotta go Dolphins versus Chiefs Tyreek making his um debut against the Chiefs um I really really wish this would have been an arrowhead but the NFL is trying to make money so they asked to put a good game in the international stadium so I get it yeah what a what a ball dropper but I mean it is what it is like 
again, like the other national games, I'm not looking forward to getting up early to watch it, but I'm still going to get up early to watch it because I want to see because players have started to kind of jaw back and forth from the Chiefs. So we shall see how that shakes out. All right, let's go ahead and talk our rookie matchups that we are looking forward to seeing. Rookie matchups. Uh... You want me to go first? Actually, well, no. Yeah, you go first. Okay. I almost went the incredibly basic route, but I'm now I'm just going to go for a not as basic route. I'm going Colts versus Texans week 2 through 18. Um, I'm interested to see C.J. Stroud versus Anthony Richardson. And, of course, it's not like these two quarterbacks are necessarily going to be playing one-on-one against each other. They'll be leading their teams. But it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of where are these guys the second week of the season to the last game of the season? How much have these guys grown? How have they been able to take command of their offense? How have their skill sets developed? I'm really excited to see the two opportunities to see these guys from the start of their careers to the tail end of their rookie seasons. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to join you in it because I was trying to think of like cornerback receiver matchups, and I can't really just think of one off the top of my head. I mean, they'll see what Joey Porter versus Zay Flowers quite a few times. Yeah, uh, that'll be. Well, no, nah, because I'm trying to think. Christian Gonzalez, the what's it called? Didn't really draft nobody. Um, oh, uh, Jalen Hyatt versus Emmanuel Forbes with the Giants and Commanders. Um, anybody else? I'm trying to think of draft corners that were drafted high. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. So yeah, I'm just I'm gonna go with the battle of the QBs because I feel like that's the safest bet, and it is. It's the one that's going to get watched the most, in my opinion. I I disagree because my incredibly basic answer was going to be week eight when the Panthers and the Texans play. So it'll be C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. I think that'll get more airtime. But, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's still basic, but. There, they'll be interesting games for sure. All right, let's talk our favorite teams and looking at our schedules and the game that stands out to us the most. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Baltimore's schedule is very backloaded. It's kind of insane. Um, So I really could have picked any game from the last month, but I'm going to be a little bit different, and I'm going to go our Week 9 game against the Seattle Seahawks. It's going to be kind of – It'll be, I think, a nice measuring stick because everybody's expecting the Seahawks to still be good and be a playoff team and expecting big things from Geno Smith. That's cool, but even with Geno Smith in tow, I feel like we have a better team than the Seahawks from top to bottom, and we still have definitely a better quarterback. Fight me about it. And I'm excited to see just where we stack up because, like I said, we do kind of wear a comparable offense. I think our de- with their in defensive improvements, I think it'll be interesting to see how they're going to be able to adjust against us and vice versa. So, so yeah, that'll be week nine, and then that'll be coming off uh, the heels of we would have just played Arizona, who I want to kick their butt, and then we got Browns after that, and then Bengals, and then Chargers, and the bye, thankfully, and then the last month is just insane. So I think that the Seahawks game, like I said, is going to be a nice measuring stick to see where we stack up. Uh, it's To me, the game that outside of the games against Baltimore, the game that sticks out is week one against San Francisco. Yeah, week one. And yeah, the game that sticks out is week one against San Fran. Like, that's going to 
this is going to be a hard-fought physical football game. It's definitely, in my opinion, going to be low-scoring. Um, like, it's funny you just talked about me being a defensive guy. This is going to be a football game, and I feel like I'm going to really enjoy watching. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of hard-hitting. Um, Broderick Jones, if he is playing on – I don't know if he's going to play right or left tackle, but he's going to get a nice taste. I mean, he's going to get to introduce himself to Mr. Uh, Nick Bosa, so that'll be fun. Wish him the best in that regard. Uh, Yeah, so, all right, let's just talk bold predictions for our favorite teams. What's your boldest prediction looking at the uh, Steelers' schedule this year? Boldest prediction? um, It's not really bold, but T.J. Watkins, a unanimous defensive player of the year. Wouldn't be mad at that at all. Um, my bold prediction for the Ravens schedule. Do, 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 do. I almost said a healthy, fully healthy Lamar, but I'm hoping that's not considered bold. You know what? I will say we get a healthy Lamar Jackson and Odell Beckham. What does that look like? I cannot tell you, but I don't think that they are going. Either of them are going to miss time because of an injury. If they miss time, maybe it'll be like week eighteen. Hopefully, we locked up a playoff spot and we're just trying to like rest people for the playoffs. But I think both of them stay healthy throughout the regular season. So fingers crossed. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery before we move on to our. Very NBA-heavy conversation. So let's start off with the Minnesota Vikings and running back Dalvin Cook. Throughout the past few weeks, it seems like it has been more signs pointing that Dalvin Cook could potentially be on the way out. And this latest report kind of reaffirms this. Um, according to ESPN's Diana Rossini, it says, All signs point to the Vikings most likely moving on from Cook in 2023. Cook is due over 14 mil, and it has been said that the Vikings could need Cook to take a pay cut to stay with the team. That seems unlikely at this time. Time. If the Vikings were to release him, waiting until after June 1st would be more advantageous. They would save $9 million if they were to cut him, as opposed to if they just saved $5.9 mil from cutting them now. Like we mentioned earlier, they saved um, over $12 mil by trading Zadarius Smith to the Browns. And while it's such a financial game, I get it. You want to have some cap flexibility. But believable or buffoonery, is it really the right move for the Vikings to trade Dalvin Cook? Um, I'm going to say believable simply because if you can't afford them, trade, might as well try to trade them and get something of that. Well, it's, it's not going to be comparable value, but something of value in return, whether it's draft picks or you get a, a, um, a younger running back that you can grow to take his place. So I definitely think it's the right thing to do. I'm going to say buffoonery, and the big reason is it's not like they've done much in terms of, like, creating a backup plan. Like, they have Alexander Madison on the roster, and he's cool, but, like, other than that, they really haven't done much to improve that run game. And while I understand, like, he is making a lot of money, what better option are you going to get in the run game right now? And I don't really think that better option exists. And if you really are dedicated to, hey, we're going to this, ride this thing out with Kirk Cousins this year. We're going to see what we got. We're going to have Kirk Cousins, Jay Jettas. We just drafted Jordan Addison. We'll see what we do. I think the best bet for them to have success is to have Dalvin Cook in tow so at least they can have a strong run game and then see how things shake out. But that's just me. All right, let's continue on with more potential trade rumors. 
heading over to the desert in Las Vegas, where apparently a slot receiver, Hunter Renfro, could find himself on the way out. Uh, reportedly, that Hunter Renfro is not expected to be on the Raiders roster come this fall. According to Hundo Carpenter of Sports Illustrated, he said, I expect something to happen after June 1st. We already saw the Raiders brass trade Darren Wilder to the Giants, and now we have Hunter Renfro potentially on the way out, which is crazy to think that just last year, we were talking about the Raiders having one of the best passing attacks, and now it's looking like it's just going to be Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, and who knows what. So, believable or buffoonery, the Raiders would be making the right move trading Hunter Renfro. I think it's buffoonery. Um, you're bringing in a new quarterback. Yes, he's familiar with Josh McDaniels and his system. But a big part of, I feel like, Josh McDaniel's system is having a really, really good slot receiver. I mean, we know in New England, in years past, they had Wells Welker, Danny Amendola, and Julian Edelman. And Hunter Riffro isn't necessarily the elite, elite caliber that two of those guys were during their playing career, but he's in a similar fashion of those guys. Um, and I think that would be a bad move to let him go because you can, you also let go of your, I know you drafted a tight end, but you let go of a all-pro tight end. So you, who's going to really cover the middle of the field from a receiving standpoint? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I always say, but like, why create a problem if you don't have to? And I think that what helped Jimmy Garoppolo be so successful in Las Vegas was not only did he have a good run game, I mean not Las Vegas, in San Francisco was that not only did he have a good run game he could rely on, but he had some good weapons around him to get the ball out to. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Michael Mayer. He's no George Kittle, but I mean, he's still solid. Devontae Adams is the best receiver he's ever had been able to throw the ball to. And then, like you mentioned, I mean, you kind of have that prototypical slot in Hunter Renfro. And I understand last year was a bit of disappointment between injuries and everything, but I don't understand why get rid of him because then you create a big hole for yourself at that slot wide receiver position. And yes, you brought in Jacoby Myers, but the expectation is for him to play on the outside. So I, I just don't think it's worth doing. But continuing on talking deals, we're heading back to the NFC and we're going to talk Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants. I think it's safe to say that he is the most explosive and arguably the most important player on the Giants roster. However, it seems that he and the team have had a hard time getting a deal done, but it's not that the Giants haven't been trying. Reportedly, uh, the Giants offered Saquon a multi-year deal worth $12.5 million per season during the bye week of the previous year. However, they sweetened the deal by increasing it to $13 million with the potential to reach $14 million through incentives shortly after the season. Despite the substantial offer, uh, Saquon Barkley and his agent reportedly turned down both proposals. I mean, from what I've heard from other uh, pundits, apparently he wants as much as Christian McCaffrey got. And I think Christian McCaffrey's making 16 mil a year. So, believable or buffoonery, Saquon Barkley is playing a dangerous game by not taking the Giants' 14 mil a year offer. Believable. Um, Saquon, he is a dynamic running back. And from a talent-wise, he could, he could rival Christian McCaffrey with the things he can do on the football field. But I don't think with his injury history, I don't think he's going to get 16 million. Um, so I think just take the money that you can get and go from there. Um, because we all know 
that teams be running backs is super expendable. You can be a superstar running back on the team and be gone the next year and the rookie comes in and rushes for a thousand yards. So I think he is playing a dangerous game. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, where else is he going to go in free agency that's going to give him 16 mil? Sure. And um, I love me some Saquon. I would love for him to be on a different team. Um, but honestly, it just feels like this is a guy who has so much talent. But like you mentioned, injuries have kind of derailed that and it's made it hard to trust him. So honestly, I'm kind of shocked that they were willing to go up to 14, honestly, just because that feels like such an anomaly in today's NFL. So for him, I think you should just take your money and just make it work. Because honestly, maybe maybe because I'm broke and I've never been a millionaire, but I don't really see a difference between 14 mil and 16 mil. Facts. But all right, last question before we move on, heading over to the defensive side of the ball. Quentin Williams, defensive tackle for the New York Jets, has been gaining steam because of his on-the-field performance, which means he is due to get a big payday. However, it seems that he and the New York Jets are having a hard time working something out. I mean, recently he made headlines by retweeting the deal that uh, – Giants defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence got, which was a four-year, $90 million extension with 60 mil guaranteed. And in his Twitter bio, it says defensive tackle for dot, 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 dot. Um, and I mean, hey, the Jets defense made a lot of noise. Quentin Williams was one of the biggest reasons for that. But if they, you can't pay the guy, it wouldn't be shocking to see him on his way out. So believable or buffoonery, Quentin Williams will be traded before the start of the season. I think it's believable. Um, I think he's such he's such a big focal point that if you're not able to give him the money, you're going to want to you're going to want to um, move on from him as fast as possible so you can try to game plan for the current state of your roster. Yeah, I'm gonna say bef- believable as well, just because I mean, if you can't afford, like you said with Damon Cook, if you know you can't get a deal done with him and I understand he's a very big part of your team and very valuable but it's like are you just gonna play the game of holding him hostage with the franchise tag because I think that's a losing game because if he decides to hold out then you create a problem for yourself and if you're the Jets I mean you could stand to have that cap flexibility especially with um, Aaron Rodgers' crazy big cap hit coming up next year and then trying to fill out other parts of this role. So I think that they should just go ahead and trade him, and I think that you could get at least a one from him for him, depending on who you talk to. And so you and I both talked about it um, off the air, but you still saying Bears best fit? Because I, w- I would say Bears best fit. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA because, boy, it has been a week. Let's start off with the positive, though, with our Mamba Players of the Week. Based off his uh, Game 6 winning performance against the Suns and what he just did last night against the Lakers in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, I'm going with Nikola Jokic as my Western Mamba. Yeah, I'm going on the couple as well. And then my Eastern Mamba, I'm going Jason Tatum. I mean, he's outscored the 76ers, what, it was 16 to 13 in the fourth quarter of game six, then dropped a 50 bomb on Mother's Day. I mean, got to go Jason Tatum. Yeah, it's nobody other than Jason Tatum. You dropped 50 in the game seven. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, hey, we love Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler – for the first time this playoff, in this playoffs, I can wholeheartedly say I was more impressed by Jason Tatum 
than Jimmy Butler. So congratulations, Tatum. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our top three takeaways. You can start us off. Top three takeaways are um, the Los Angeles Lakers. A magical run, I think, is finally going to come to an end. The, um, they made great improvements when they made the trades at the trade deadline. But I think a thing, a big part of it is they also had some of the look of the attrition of the playoffs, like the Grizzlies, they didn't have Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. Jaw was injured and wasn't um, playing to his full potential. Um, even though he did have an amazing, I think it was game three, when he put up 45, I might be wrong. Um, Desmond Bain had been dealing with a toe injury that now he's getting surgery for and kind of hampered him a little bit in the playoffs. And then you go against you go up against the Warriors where they didn't necessarily have health issues, but like ever since the Draymond Green punch, their team just hadn't been the same um, all year. And I think that played a role into why the Lakers were able to pull away. But the Nuggets, like Nicole Yoke is looking like he he might be the best player in basketball right now. And you look at the supporting cast, like Jamal Murray's looking like he's finally healthy and being the Jamal Murray mode. And you have just like a bunch of different guys that can they can put the ball in the hole and play a bunch of different roles. And I think just the overall dip and just the size of Nicole Yoke's and his skill is gonna overpower the Lakers. Felt that. Uh number three for me, no job has less security than an NBA coach. It don't matter if you won a championship or went to the finals. It don't matter if you won a coach of the year. You are on borrowed time, as evidenced by these past couple of weeks. We saw Mike Budenholzer get the door. Nick Nurse got the door. Um, and then just in the past few days alone, Monty Williams and Doc Rivers. It has been a trip. And also, while I do believe that there are definitely still racial inequities in this country, please let's try not try to make this Doc Rivers and Monty Williams thing a race thing because white coaches get knocked off too. So let's let's not do that today. Uh, my number two, um, <clears throat> going back to the Doc and the 76ers, they, they might have been the biggest collapse that I've seen in the playoffs. You had what a three was it three two three one three two three two lead going and you had two games to close it out. You have an MVP on your team and like you lose game you lose game six and then you get blew out game seven. Um, I know people are saying like, hey. Can you you might not be able to find they search the quote unquote find a better coach than Doc, but hey, maybe it's time to move on. So yeah, that's this probably the biggest outside of obviously the Golden State three one D, that's the biggest blunder I've ever seen in the playoffs. All time? For you? You think that's all time? Or But no, behind Golden State's three one. It's I don't, I wouldn't even say it was that big of a blunder. I just, yes, they blew a 3-2, but, like, 3-2 isn't, like, inseparable odds. Like, if they were up 3-1 and blew it, okay. But 3-2 is, like, 
I don't see that as like that big of a deal to me. Like they had a collapse for sure, but like I wouldn't all time collapse. I I don't I don't think it's that deep. But that's just me. Uh, number two in terms of my takeaways is Jason Tatum is making the Celtics possible max contract decision much easier. Uh, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both making the All NBA teams collectively signing them to extensions would cost the Celtics over $600 million, which pretty much made it clear that it was going to be one or the other. And you and I have talked about it, and I'm sure there's been a lot of dialogues across the league about how big of a difference is there between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Well, these past couple of years have made it clear that if the Celtics, I mean, these past couple of games are shown, if you got to pick one, you got to lean towards Tatum. Mm, I mean, I I obviously think he'll get the deal, but I think that they the way that they both play collectively in these playoffs at different points, they both earn mass contracts. But if you're the Celtics, which one would you keep? Um, uh, I mean, it's obvious Tatum, yeah, because he he is the better player. But I also think that if you lose Jalen Brown, it might be a bigger detriment to your team than people think. I do agree with you. I think that they are better together than separate. Or, I mean, they could just replace Jalen Brown with the greatest player of all time in James Harden. He said he wants to go somewhere where he can be free as a basketball player and they're competitive. James Harden in Boston would not so. <laughs> be terrible. I'll say my James Harden thoughts until later. But yeah, that's my that's my two. <laughs> my number one is that you mentioned it, the coaching carousel, but I think it's time to start to revisit some of the things that we thought about as far as bringing in a head coach, like. We saw that J.J. Redick was interviewed for the Toronto Raptors job. I think that's a great decision to maybe start like looking at some non-traditional routes, i.e. bringing in former players that might not necessarily have coaching experience, especially when you're talking about some of these younger teams because like these guys that they're bringing in, like, they're good, but their voices can only be heard for so long. Like, Steve Nash, he wasn't a, he wasn't a good coach. No. He, he was just a personality manager. But I, I believe if you were to bring in J.J. Reddick and make him a head coach, I think he would be, I think he would be a, a good and maybe great, but a good head coach. It's 50-50 it's for me because it's like, I would like to see former players get more opportunities, but it's like it's that fine line of how many former players have genuinely had success in the coaching realm. And recently, it really hasn't been many. Like Willie Green and Pe- with the Pelicans has been not terrible, but due to the circumstances, but it also hasn't been much positive going on. Steve Nash, as you mentioned, was a, not a good coach. 
Um, Jason Kidd has been cool, but it's like, is he a guy who can really get you over the hump? And so I, I would like to see more former players get an opportunity because, like you said, like they can connect with players in a way that these other guys really can't because they some of them haven't even played basketball beyond college, if in college. And so I think it's important to have somebody on the sideline who can relate to what you're going through, has been through that grind with you, but it's so hard finding, like, the right guy. That makes sense. But who knows? Um, And then my number one is Nikola Jokic is playing his butt off this playoff run. Totally get it. Totally understandable. But people need to stop discrediting Joel Embiid's season. Up until the start of the playoffs, Joel Embiid was the league's MVP. And this is no disrespect to Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic was balling this year, but it was clear that it was Joel Embiid's time. However, since the start of the playoffs, especially within the last week or so, people are just crapping on Joel Embiid, questioning if he should have won it, or and saying Nikola Jokic should have won it. And my favorite thing I've saw about the conversation is Nikola would have won it until Kendrick Perkins made it a race thing. Like, just stupid stuff like that. Like, I think we... We as a people have a hard time appreciating greatness when it happens. And we can are, we can talk about that from any stance. But it's crazy how much we forget how good somebody was in the regular season because these last month or so, somebody else has been better. And so I just think it's not fair to kind of throw Joel Embiid and his MVP under the bus just because Nikola Jokic is playing better in the playoffs. But all right, let's go ahead and make our conference finals prediction. Starting out of the Eastern Conference tonight, the Boston Celtics will start their series against the Miami Heat. Everybody in their mama know I want to see Jimmy Butler make it to the finals and get himself a ring. The Celtics are kind of inconsistent. So at this very moment, I'm going to say Heat in seven. I want I want Jimmy Butler to get a raise, probably just as bad as you. But I think overall the Celtics just have a, a completely better roster, and I think you're gonna see it. So I'm probably gonna say Boston. That's Boston the. I feel that the that's the hard thing about the Heat. Like every series, you could count them out because, like roster wise, they don't. In my opinion, they haven't had a better roster than anybody they faced this playoffs. But if I have to take – how I'm looking at it is if I have to take Jimmy Butler's best day and Jason Tatum's best day, I'm taking Jimmy Butler's. Mm, I think Jimmy and Jason even each other out. And once you get past them, then it's like who's the next person that's in line. And I will take Jalen Brown over anybody else on my roster. I would agree with that, but again, it's like the Jason Tatum we've seen, we've seen these past couple of games, or well, game in a quarter, has not been the typical Jason Tatum we've seen throughout this playoff run. And so the inconsistencies of him make it hard to really trust the Celtics because Jalen Brown is very good. But if that team overall, they're not a team that just works as well as a cohesive unit as the Miami Heat do. Like, they're a team that they may not have a whole bunch of star power, but they make it work with what they have. Whereas the Celtics, it's like if Jalen Brown isn't having a great game and if um, 
Jason Tatum isn't having a great game, it's all she wrote. It's very rare that a guy like Al Horford or Marcus Smart or um, Malcolm Brogdon is going to, like, put the team on his back. And so in that instance, that's why I give the Heat the slight edge. But it wouldn't shock me either way. All right, the Denver Nuggets are up 1-0 on the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And unfortunately, I think they're going to hold on to this series, and I think they win it in six. Yeah, I agree with six. All right, bet. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some roster news. Starting off out of Golden State, Andre Iguodala has officially announced his retirement after 19 seasons. He is a four-time NBA champ, one-time Finals MVP. He's made seven Finals appearances, is a one-time All-Star, two All-Defensive Team, and one-time Olympic gold medalist. For those youngsters who had not really seen Iggy play when he was in his prime back in them 76ers days. He was a bad dude. He wasn't just a bench warmer in Golden State. So I'm going to ask you, back in Iggy's prime, let's say mid to late 2000s to 2010s, where would you rank prime Iggy? Mm, he was like a mid-level star. He wasn't a superstar by any means, but I would say in his prime, he was the comparison that I would make is he was like Joe Johnson. Hmm. I would take Joe Johnson over Iggy. Between the two. Maybe I'm tripping. Would you take Iggy or Joe Johnson? If you had to pick I'm one, a, you I'm a Joe Johnson fan, so I'm gonna always say Joe Johnson. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think Iggy, that, he was one of those guys, because, like, at the time, Philly wasn't a team that was, like, really in title contention. They would make the playoffs time to time, but they never really were a threat, per se. But, I mean, he was still a good player. Like, I'd kind of put him in that Joe Johnson, Gilbert Arenas conversation after Gilbert Arenas started getting hurt. But he's yeah, because I'm Oh, 100%. But then once injuries kind of came, I think that kind of evened the playing field between the two. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to head coaches getting the chop. Like we mentioned at the top, Monty Williams, after four seasons, was fired by the Phoenix Suns brass, despite going to the NBA Finals back in 2021 and being a two-time NBA Coach of the Year. However, new owner Matashiba made the decision to fire Williams, and uh, now it is time to hire a new coach. We got to start off with the typical question, like we asked last week with Mike Budenholzer. Do you think that the Suns made the right move? I don't think they made the right move, but I'm not surprised by it. <clears throat> um, anytime you bring in new ownership, stuff like this is going to happen because they're going to want to bring in their guys. Yeah, I agree. Um, it does suck for Monty because, I mean, before this, uh, you wouldn't, even the announcement came, I said, like, yeah, I get a lot of change going to come, but I hope they don't get rid of Monty, and now he's gone. Um, but again, Disappointed, but not really surprised. So, what team do you think, because it's a good amount of head coaching vacancies now, what team do you think would be the best fit? Mm, I think I would say Philadelphia. 
Okay. I would say Milwaukee because I think that they're a team whose roster is about set. Like Chris Middleton's future is kind of in the air, but I mean, you know, Giannis is going to be there. You know, Drew Holiday is going to be there. Um, I want to say Bobby Portis is still in tow, and then they should have some flexibility to kind of add people. Um, but Philly would make a lot of sense too. But speaking of Philly, Doc Rivers gets fired after three seasons. Not exactly a big surprise after that because more times than not, a coach is going to be the scapegoat if a team performs badly. So do you think Philly made the right move getting rid of Doc? I'm going to say yes, simply because I think it's just one of those situations where, like, don't get me wrong, I do think that Doc is one of the better coaches in the NBA. But me and you talked about this off air, like, when Doc won his one singular most overrated championship in the history of the NBA, he had three Hall of Famers, even though they were the uh, end, like not even the end, but the latter point of their career, he still had three Hall of Famers on his team. And he had Rondo, who at the time became a top five point guard. Like, Let's not overrule it. I think Philly, in Philly, he had great talent, but it was also some stuff that just didn't make sense. Like you, you bring in, you bring in Tobias Harris, you give him a boatload of money, but then you don't commit to him being your number three. He kind of really became an overpriced, overrated role player. Um, you bring in James Harden who, again, don't have had ups and downs, but I don't think he was necessarily the right fit to go along with Joel Embiid. And I think another thing that happened with bringing in James Harden is you hindered the development of Tyrese Maxey, a young point guard that you could potentially could have developed to being that number two besides Joel Embiid and like letting the roster kind of set place organically. Now Doc's gone, James Harden just opted out of his contract, and now you don't know, but kind of like some things are in flux. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, most overrated ring for sure. But also it just seems that it just didn't seem like a good fit from jump. And you look at this roster that the team has had, and it's like, how have y'all not made it past the Eastern semifinals? And for the life of me, it, I, I don't have, like, a clear-cut reason as to why it's not happened. I mean, you have your MVP caliber player. You have a good area of role players around him. You have a good coach, and it's just not clicking. At the end of the day, a coach is going to lead before a player, and thus he got the boot. Uh, so, what would you say is the best fit for Doc Rivers right now? Um, that's tough because I don't necessarily think he's going to get one of these higher-profile coaching jobs. Um, I, I don't really know. I, in most, I probably will say the Suns. I said Suns because, like, if I'm if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm not going from the 76ers to the Pistons. But in real life, like, I think he would be fine with taking some time off. 
I don't think he should immediately just jump to a coaching job just because I don't see the issues he just had in Philly. I don't see those totally going away or being totally ratified, rectified or whatever, Once he, if he was to take the Phoenix job. This is still a team that is going through its own struggles because, yes, it has two stars, but it doesn't have a bench. And then you got to figure out what's going to happen with CP3, what's going on with DeAndre Ayton. They have their fair share of problems. And no coaching situation is perfect, but I don't think that – Phoenix would be the only other spot, maybe Milwaukee, but like just in terms of the caliber of coach he is, I wouldn't expect him going anywhere else besides those two. And I can't say I think either of them would be the best fit for him at this time. So I think he should take a little bit of time off. I just thought about it. I'm going to say Toronto. Uh-huh. Why Toronto? Just because I think like they're a team, they have talent. They're not necessarily in the hunt for the championship, but they could potentially still be good enough to like make the playoffs. And they're like they they're young enough to where I think Doc can make an impact. I think that's been a big one of the big hindrances with Doc is like he's been coaching like he Outside, like he's coaching Joel and B, a guy that's been an MVP candidate for a handful of years. He's coaching James Harden, a guy that won MVP and has been one of the all-time greatest scorers. I think something that might help Doc right now at this point in his career is maybe coaching some younger guys and like trying to help develop them um, along instead of having already established guys. Um, I'll say this if he goes I think Toronto's headed towards a rebuild or at least that's what their GM has made it sound like but if you get a Doc Rivers you can't go into a rebuild and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out if he were to go to Toronto because like you said I mean they're gonna be competitive with their current roster it's just a matter of does Toronto's front office want to thug it out with what they have and see where they can go with maybe a Doc Rivers in tow, or do they want to blow it all up and kind of start from scratch? I think that would be the biggest determining factor if they were to go after a Doc Rivers or something like that. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some player news because unfortunately, we got to talk about Ja and not in glowing terms. So this past Sunday, a video came out of him with a gun. Um, and even though to his friend's credit, soon as he saw the flash, he tried to move it. But, you know, with the ability to screenshot, that picture was everywhere and has thus led to a suspension for the Memphis Grizzlies um, for an indefinite amount of time throughout the offseason. And it's looking like another suspension is coming first. Now, before we get to the possibility of the length of that suspension, here is what Ja Morant had to say about it. Uh, recently he issued a statement through his agent saying, I know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me. This is a journey and I recognize there is more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions. I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. As a Grizzlies fan, what was it like when you heard or saw this information? Bro, my first thought was like, why? Um, because it's 
it's just like not only like bro, you, you just didn't learn your lesson the first time like you legit you 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 lost out on 39 million dollars because you were suspended and couldn't make the all NBA team because being truthfully ugly honest you should have made it yeah like the only part, the only guard that was on the audience, I tell you, in my mind, that was better than him. They see, there was, they rivaled him was shy. And but like the other two guards they made, John was better than. And if he would have played and stayed healthy and played, he would have made it, and he would have made thirty nine extra million dollars. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's just my first thought of like why, and the second thought is like. Yeah, now I'm starting to really do believe that, like, she has a problem. Um, I think a lot of people have been trying to say, like, oh, it's the music, yada, yada, yada. I think it's more along the lines of, like, and I, I think we talked about this the first time this incident occurred. I think John has an alcohol problem that he uses to cope with his stress. Like, I remember... On two separate occasions, when it was All Star Weekend, job went live, and he was chugging a bottle of Cosmigos. And it's like, yeah, bro, we get it. You're 23. You gonna turn up? You gonna, you know, celebrate making an All Star, being an All Star starter? But like, to chug tequila, something's wrong with it. And I think that's the thing. Like, doing this suspension, like. John needs to go to rehab and like get get Pat and go to therapy and seek help. Um, because like it's yeah. Yeah, it was um because you're the one who sent it to me. I didn't see it. Like I rolled over and I saw it what you sent with the screenshot and it's like, are you kidding me? Like it's just so stupid and i get it he's 23 he's young whatever like i'm around jaw's age and if i had millions and millions of dollars in not only my salary but also endorsements i am not doing nothing to jeopardize that more importantly i'm not doing it in front of a camera because clearly you saw your boy with the phone you saw he was on live and you still pull out the gun and again my issue is not that he has a gun at all let me make that abundantly clear like hey sometimes you gotta have protection now semi-automatic rifles and everything that's a whole nother conversation for another day but the fact that he has a gun for his protection okay i don't have any issue with that like jj reddick said in his uh, last you know tangent about it like he didn't break any laws it's just the fact that you literally just got in trouble for this a couple months ago. And like you said, you missed out on 39 mil, a spot on the um, All-NBA team. You honestly missed out on money because your shoes and your Powerade ads and everything, they came out much later than they were supposed to, which hits your pockets. And you do the same thing again. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And... It's just, at the end of the day, it's just stupid. 
it's so stupid and like i know people are making jokes out of it and they're gonna make a joke out of it especially because the first time you want to give jaw the benefit of the doubt but this time it's like there's literally nothing else you can say nothing and so for his sake i like you said i hope he does go to rehab i hope he gets like some serious help because it's just i think at some point it goes beyond immaturity and maybe it is just being straight up stupid to keep doing the same thing over and over again that gets you into trouble because we'll get to the suspension in a second I don't think it needs to be anything crazy of him like missing the year or anything but the NBA is going to make a statement those eight games or whatever you got from the team was a slap on the wrist but now you're underestimating the league's power and essentially saying, man, I'm going to do what I want, the league is going to make you pay. So adding to that, kind of a touching base with that, that goes into Adam Silver. And during the draft lottery, Malika Andrews of ESPN asked him about his thoughts on the John Moran situation. And this is what he had to say. He said, I was shocked at what I saw this weekend. He added, I was at, at least was left with the sense that he was taking this incredibly seriously. Honestly, I was shocked at what I saw this weekend. I'm assuming the worst. That's not exactly, if you're Ja and you're his representatives, that's not what you want to hear from the NBA commissioner, especially because he is going to be in charge of the suspension that you get. So, Ethan, how many games this time do you think Ja's going to have to miss? Being completely honest, I'm going to say at a minimum 20 games. I could see that. I'm going to say, I'm only going to say like 35 to 40 because, uh, what's his name? Because uh, Adam Silver said he's assuming the worst. And this is the first big NBA player getting into trouble that I can remember since he's taken over aside from like Michael Bridges but that's a whole nother conversation um but I th- I mean not Michael Miles Bridges but I think that he's gonna want to like make a statement with it and so personally I don't think it should be no more than 30 I think 25 is kind of pushing it as well but I think I think Adam Silver is going to want to make a statement and be like, hey, we're not going to condone this. I don't want other players to think that this is cute and that we're just going to let it slide, no matter how talented you are, how no matter how good you are. So I think it's I think it's going to be I think it's going to be kind of up there. Um, so looking ahead to the Grizzlies and just the grand scheme of things with Jaws upcoming suspension, how do you think this affects their free agency plans? I'm, I'm sure we can probably both agree that it's not going to lead to Dylan Brooks or anything coming back. Do you think that they try to bring in another veteran point guard? I mean, I believe Tyus Jones is, was slated to be a free agent. I don't think he leaves, but do you, how do you think this affects free agency in the offseason for them? Um, I don't. I think what it might affect is their draft more so than free agency. I think because I think their priority from a free agent standpoint is you're going to have to find a small forward that can replace Dylan Brooks in the starting lineup because you you can Tyus as much as he has stated in years past that he wants to go to a team and become a starter. Tyus has shown time and time again that he loves being in Memphis and that he's willing to 
take a pay cut to stay in Memphis. Um, so you can re-sign Tyus and he'll be your starter. But the, from that point on, you're going to need to find a way to bring in a backup. And instead, and the Grizzlies, they don't have that much cap flexibility going into this offseason. So I think the priority should be finding a starting caliber small forward, whether it's through trade or through trying to sign someone and then using this draft to potentially bring in a bag of point guard. Who would you want them to bring in, like, realistically? Um, I don't really remember the point guards that's coming into this draft class. If being completely honest, they are, being honest, I also would not be surprised if they resign Kennedy Chandler. I can see that, especially because he already has familiarity with the team. That would make a lot of sense. So I might go with that route because they also need another center. So they might resign Kennedy Chandler because you can bring him in for cheap and then go for a center in the draft. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some more not-so-fun conversations, and that is revolving the semifinals around losers. Starting off with the Phoenix Suns, lost in six to the Nuggets. As we all know, fired Monty Williams, and that now leaves quite a few players' futures in doubt. Obviously, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. They're fine. They're not going anywhere. However, the same could not be said for Chris Paul, as it's reported that the Suns are expected to aggressively shop Chris Paul, and it's pretty likely he plays elsewhere um, next season. If you ask Dwight Howard, he might be joining him down in Taiwan. But realistically, do you think that there is going to be much of a market for CP3 out there? Um, if I'm not mistaken, he, he's owed a lot of money. So they're going to have to figure out a way to get this situation for somebody to take on to bring him in. Because, like, I think CP3 could be a great benefit to some teams, but they're not going to pay him premium dollar at the level of production that he's putting out now. So, I'm sorry to interrupt. So he is slated to make 60 mil over these next two years. Um, and then he's going to be a free agent in 2025. But on the positive, only, according to uh, SpotTrack, only 15.8 mil of that next year is guaranteed. And then the year after that, none of it's fully guaranteed. So, what I would say is a team, a French playoff team, so let me think, they might need a point guard. Um, Do you think maybe Dallas if Kyrie leaves? Nah, because CP3 controls the game. He can't, he's not really, what Dallas needs, they need somebody that can play off ball. And CP3, he can, but he's better with the ball in his hands. I agree. Um, The team, the first team that came to my mind is um, the Timberwolves, but they they brought in Mike Conley this season. True, and Mike Conley's much cheaper. Um, let me think. Or maybe 
Because they were a friend's playoff team, maybe Brooklyn. Yeah, they could use a point. I could, I could see that. Again, I agree with you. I think the contract will be have to take be taken care of first and foremost. But I, I think he'll have a market. But I do like, for example, I saw like the Lakers being in. I don't think that makes any sense. Um. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think if somebody was to do it, it'd be it wouldn't be like a high profile, you know, like the Lakers or Nuggets or anybody like that. But I think he would have a market. All right, let's keep things in the Western Conference. With the six-game series loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, many people are wondering, is the Warriors' dynasty over? Where do you stand on this topic? I think it is. I think, again, I think I said it earlier, I don't think the team ever fully recovered from the Draymond Green incident in the offseason. Um, like, he was a he is a focal point of your team. And for that to happen, like that's kinda like a really, really big breach in trust. And I don't think they were ever able to recuperate. And I also think some of the things from a team standpoint that they they need to address, like, for one, Steph is still performing at the level um of of like years in the past. Clay has shown flat Clay has shown flashes, but he hasn't been consistent. So it might be a situation to where you might need to find a replacement for Clay. Also, if you're going to keep Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole has a really bad issue with taking bad shots and having bad shot selection. And the thing of it is, is when he's on, it's amazing. But when he's off, he's costing you games. Um, so I think I do think that this is the last dance, pun intended. Yeah, I think it's I think it's over too. And I mean, hey, it's been an amazing run. But kind of going back to the Draymond thing, I think that that probably not just between Draymond and Jordan Poole, which for obvious reasons is understandable. But like, I'm sure like it probably created a vibe between like the younger players and the veteran players. Like, the guys who had been around for a while, I'm sure they were on Draymond's side. I'm like, hey, man, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's just Draymond. But the younger players are like, yo, no matter who you are, how long you've been in the league, you shouldn't be able to just to, like, do that. And, I mean, of course, all NBA teams have their skirmishes and practices and stuff, but the fact that this came out for the world to see, and, I mean, it's one thing to fight your teammate. The fact you just decked this man in his face, we wouldn't be cool. And I'm sure if you are a player for the Warriors, especially a younger one, like he might, he's not going to try that with Steph or like probably Clay, but like uh, Jonathan Kaminga or somebody of that level, who's to say you're not going to be the next one getting punched in your face? So I, I would agree. I think that that probably did cause some raptures, ruptures, I'm sorry, in that, uh, in that locker room for sure. And then uh, last but not least, we have the Philadelphia 76ers. We all know how great. Um, Joel Embiid is wasn't enough. I mean, Tyrese Maxey, solid role player. Same could be said for James Harden, Doc Rivers, former NBA championship coach. It's looking like at least two out of four of them are gone. Um, so what do you think the 76ers have to do to get over the Eastern Conference semifinals hump? 
Um, for the first thing I think they should do is I think that they need to fully invest in Ty- uh, Tyrese Maxey being the number two behind Joel and B. Agreed. Like, having James Harden was good. It was cool. But, again, he, when you needed him most, he didn't show up. And in playoffs during this season and last season, when you needed somebody to show up most, Tyrese Maxey was that guy. Like, when they played Miami last year in the playoffs, Tyrese Maxey looked like he was the best player on the court at certain points, even with Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler on the court. Um, and I think he's shown that he can be a guy that can be, um, that can be up for. I think also a reality for Joel is, is remembering that when you make it to the playoffs, you're going to be officiated differently. Yeah. Like, Joel and B had, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a 7.5 point per game drop-off mm. from the regular season I to the post. nine points. Okay, nine points. I'm, and if I'm not, from what I saw, that's the most uh, the most significant drop-off in the history of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest piece of that is, in the regular season, Joel and B was one of the most free-throw free line visitors during the season. And we all know that once the playoffs start, things get more physical and the refs don't call fouls nearly as much. They let guys play. Remembering like, hey, you're going to be officiated differently, so stop looking for bailout foul calls and go and continue to be the guy that is seven foot, at minimum seven foot, 280 pounds. One of the biggest guys in the NBA, one of the most dominant players in the NBA. And going through people and being a dominant force. And being second, I think if you're able to, finding a way to get some of a, a go-to guy off the bench. Like, we've seen and get, like, let me think, like with Boston, for instance. Yes, they have Jason Tatum. Yes, they have um, Jalen Brown. But Malcolm Brogdon has been a really good piece for them coming off the bench. And he's a guy that you can go to and get points. And he can run the offense for them off the bench. And that's something that I think Philly doesn't have. It's like they don't have that, that six man that once you take out Joel, like the scoring kind of dissipates and kind of runs to a dead steal. So finding somebody that can bring a spark off the bench. So agree with that. Um, so we'll probably talk about this more later. Where does where you think Harden ends up? You think he go back to Houston? I mean, yeah, because he wants like four years, and I don't think, like, I don't think he's going to get four years on any team that's playing meaningful basketball. And I mean, you can go back to Houston, and I mean, it's a place you know, it's a place where you became a superstar. I mean, why not? Just thug it out. I mean, because I don't – I think this year was probably, in recent years, his best chance at getting a ring. And of the title contenders available, I can't see him joining any of them. So you might as well make your money and have fun in the process and do it in a place you enjoy. And I think Houston could be that fit. Now, that will be interesting to see how that goes in terms of their current roster – and if maybe they would elect to make some moves, maybe move Jalen Green somewhere else. But 
Yeah, I, I think Houston probably is. All right, one more thing before we uh, play our game of believable or buffoonery. We have the NBA draft lottery, which took place last night. As everybody and their mother knows, the San Antonio Spurs won the first overall pick, um, which everyone anticipates them using on Wimby. And here's how the rest of the lottery shakes out. At number two is the Hornets, three Blazers, four Rockets, five Pistons, six Magic, seven Pacers, eight Wizards, nine Jazz, 10 Mavericks, 11 Magic, 12 Thunder, 13 Raptors, and 14 Pelicans. Um, let's go ahead and talk who we feel is the biggest winner and loser of the draft lottery. Starting off with winner, who do you think gets that title? I mean, it's obvious the Spurs. Um, but this is obvious. I also will say the Charlotte Hornets at number two because they can go a multitude of routes with their number two pick. They can go with the route that I think they're going to go, which is going for Brandon Miller from Alabama. Or they could potentially draft Scoot Henderson and have a uh, have a two guard led backcourt with him and Lamelo. Yeah, because I think Rozier is gone. I want to say either he's a free agent or they're expected to move on from him this offseason. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say the Blazers. We've talked about this for a long time about what the Blazers are going to do at three. And I think that the reason I'm saying is they're a winner because they have a lot of flexibility with this. Now, they've publicly said they're looking to move on from that pick to try to build a Damian Lillard-led rebuild, which you and I both agree is kind of. Um, to put it simply, it's not what we would have done, but A, it's not our team. But if they, even if they don't elect to do that, what they can do is they can bring in a guy either like Brandon, which – who would be a great fit because they do need a three, or they could go ahead and go the route of taking a scoop, trading Dane, getting a big return, go ahead and start the rebuild and have a scoop in Anthony Simons led backcourt. Maybe they could elect to move Simons if they want to keep Dane and they would still get a good return in that. Like, I feel like the Blazers have a lot of options here at three if they do elect to just go ahead and kind of head towards the rebuild as opposed to keep trying to build a winning roster against Dame. Because even at this very moment, I don't think that what player is that number three overall pick really going to get you who's like a proven commodity? Um, And I think that's going to be the biggest hindrance. I think that's what's going to end up leading them to just go the like overall rebuild route but still they have a lot of flexibility all right who would you say is the biggest loser the detroit pistons them boys lost 17 games no they won 17 games yeah they won i'm sorry won 17 games and they didn't get the number one overall pick cold world very cold world i'm my loser is wimby but not because of anything to do with the spurs it's just he is getting crazy hype coming into this draft. Like uh, Woj literally said before the draft lottery that he feels like Wimby is the most sought-after um, prospect in all of team sports, which is an insane thing to say considering we still live in an age where LeBron James, James exists. And 
we've seen guys who were incredibly hyped up. Like we said, we got the LeBrons, the Ben Simmons, the Greg Oldens, the Zion Williamsons. And unfortunately, more times than not, it does not pan out. But I will say the hype that he has gotten has eclipsed almost everybody besides LeBron. And I think that if he and I and not that I don't think he's going to be a good player, but I feel like if he struggles and is not the player that we think of, or if he, God forbid, turns into like a Ben Simmons, God have mercy on that man, and I hope that he has a good therapist because he is going to get dragged. The national media is going to turn against him. The fans are going to turn against him, and it's just going to be so ugly. And while I think that the Spurs are a great fit for him, because more like he's going to go there, but I do think that it's one of those things where it's that we collectively are putting a lot on this young man's shoulders. And if he does not pan out, it is going to be a bloodbath. So I hope for his sake, it don't turn out to be like that. But yeah, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And we're going to start off with some more John Morant commentary. So as we all know, um, back in the 2019 draft, first overall was Zion, second was John Morant, third, R.J. Barrett. And it seemed like the first two were panning out despite their collective difficulties. But now it has Stephen A. Smith saying, between Zion Williamson's body and John Morant's stupidity, R.J. Barrett might end up being the best pick. I get it's a lot going on for both sides. So believable or buffoonery. RJ Barrett is looking like the best pick of the 2019 draft. Buffoonery. I mean, yes, Zion has health issues and yes, Ja has recently had off the field issues, but when both of those guys are on the court, they're a thousand times better than RJ Barrett. Yeah. I, I, I'm calling big buffoonery on this too. Like, I compare what Stephen A said to, like, the Fugees. It's essentially, like, Zion is Lauren Hill. When they perform, they are amazing. They are awesome. But then when they, they're gone, they're gone. And then you look at John Morant, I kind of see him as Wycliffe. Like, when he plays, he's great. He may do some off-the-wall stuff, which kind of questions his greatness and how talented he is. But when he's there, he's good. And I look at R.J. Barrett as prize because, for my Fuji's fans, you get this, but it's like at no point has R.J. Barrett been considered the best player on the Knicks. If he was considered the best player, we wouldn't hear so much love for Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle that we've gotten all year. I have barely heard R.J. Barrett's name being mentioned once. And so... I get, like I said, the first two picks, it's been a lot going on with them. But to say R.J. Barrett is the best of the three because he's quote-unquote safe, no, absolutely not. I'm calling big buffoonery. All right, moving on to our another player in the Eastern Conference but is making noise for the positive reasons, and that is Jason Tatum. Following his Game 6 performance where he scored 16 in the fourth quarter, he said, I'm humbly one of the best basketball players in the world. He then followed that up but the 50-piece in Game 7. So, believable or buffoonery, Jason Tatum has stamped his ticket as one of the best basketball players in the world. To dwindle it down, let's say he's top five. No. Because 
would say top five still in no particular order. Stealth, Giannis, Joker, Joel, um, I'll go. Katie. Did you say Joel and B? Yeah, Joel and Katie. Yeah, I'm going buffoonery as well. Because, like I said, this last game and a quarter were amazing. But other than that, he's just been kind of there. And so, you got to have consistent greatness before I can put you up there. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the Golden State Warriors and the potential of their future. Right now, um, Draymond Green has a player option and... Clay Thompson is slated to be a free agent, but has already stated he'd be willing to take a pay cut to return to the Warriors. Another pair that still believes that the Warriors dynasty is still alive and got co-signed by their head coach. With Steve Kerr saying, if Draymond's not back, we're not a championship contender. We know that. So, believable or buffoonery, Clay and Draymond will be back in Golden State this upcoming season. I'm going to say buffoonery. I believe Clay will be back with Draymond. Mm, where do you think Draymond goes? I don't know. I just don't think they'll bring him back. At this current moment, I'm going to say believable. More, more so because I could see Draymond opting into his option. Because, again, I don't... Excuse me. I don't think anybody any other team is going to give him as much money as he can make on this player option. He's older. He's not exactly a centerpiece of a team. Everybody named Mama knows that Draymond is Draymond because he plays for the Warriors. If Draymond played anywhere else, he wouldn't have this big of an impact and probably wouldn't get talked about as much as he is now. So I I think they both end up back. All right, continuing on in the Western Conference with Nikola Jokic. After his terrific performance in Game 6, he got high praise from Kevin Durant and said, Jokic is an all-time great. He's going to go down as one of the all-time great centers to ever touch a basketball. Believable or buffoonery, Nikola Jokic is on the cusp of establishing himself as one of the GOATs at center. Absolutely. If they if he if he wins a championship this year, he'll he'll be in my opinion, he might already be a top ten all time center. Yeah, I would say believable as well, especially because we've kind of seen the devaluation of centers in today's NBA. But everybody knows Nikola Jokic. You know, and I think that that has to stand for something. While centers don't get considered in the same light as they used to or as they probably should there are guys who you see and you're like, nah, there's everybody else. And then there's Nikola Jokic. And I think that stands for something. So while he may not in terms of like career accolades, be put in the conversation as like maybe a Shaq or a Kareem, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, etc. Yeah. Nikola Jokic is the best center that we've had in the past, what, five, maybe 10 years. And I think that stands for something. So I'm going to say believable. All right, last but certainly not least, talking back about our guy Jimmy Buckets. Um, Everybody has been loving his production this season, and many people like us would love to see him get a ring. However, it would where would that ring rack up historically? Let's find out. For example, one Twitter user said, a Jimmy ring would be the toughest ring of all time. I don't make the rules. Believable or buffoonery? I'm going to say believable. 
I mean, for one, she was an AC. No. Yeah, they were AC. No, they were second seed. Uh, no, they were AC. I'm wrong. So, yeah, they went up against the top rated team with doing it, arguably one of the the one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA, to be honest. Then beat them. Then they went through a bloodbath against the Knicks. And now they're about to face the um, the Celtics, who have arguably probably the best tandem in the NBA at this point. And then if they win, and like like let's say hypothetically they play the Nuggets, like. I don't know too many other like gunners that's harder than it. I'm gonna say buffoonery because I'd still say Dirk Nowitzki in, in 2011 is harder. Like, I get, I don't believe they came in as a AFC, but I mean, they still had very tough opponents they had to get through. Because what they had in the first round, they had Portland, which was really good that year. Then they had to sweep my Lakers, which nobody had to like talk about. Then they had to get past the Thunder, and this is when the Thunder was in, were insane. And then they beat the Miami Heat in the finals. And personally, I would take that Heat team, or at least that version of the Heat with, um, what's it called? With LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh over any team that Jimmy Butler has had to see so far this playoff run? I don't know. And the reason I'm going to say that is because there was LeBron and them in year one. Like, the like if they face, if they face the Nuggets right now, like you facing Top of Powell's Jokic. And granted, individual talent-wise, LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosch are superiorly better than any any team, any player that's been on any team that they face. But like a cohesive Nuggets team at this point, like, I don't know. That's, 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 a, that's a tough torch. I just still gun in my head, I, I would still go the Heat. Even in that first year, I mean, they still won 58 games. They were still running through everybody. It's not they got stopped in the playoffs, but the rest of, I mean, not playoffs in the finals, but everything else was barbecue chicken. They won both of their series in five games. And I get it. I totally hear you. Like, I think that that lack of team cohesion did cost them in the finals, but I would still take that team over the Nuggets right now. And so... Um, and like I said, I still feel like the Mavericks had a tougher road getting to the finals in the first place, nonetheless winning it. But I love Jimmy Butler. And I think that he, if he were to win a ring, it obviously would like enter top three territory. I don't know if I, I still would go. I, I would go Dirk had, a, had it tougher. But. Yeah, I'm gonna call buffoonery, but it's not a it's not a big gap. All right, last thing before we get out of here, uh, game one between the Heat and Celtics. Who you got tonight? Uh they playing? They're playing in Boston, right? Um, I'm gonna say Boston wins game one. I think 
I think they win it close because I think they're kind of riding the hype of uh, Jason Tatum, and I think he kind of leads that to another game, and then he take game two. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, I'm ready for football. Honestly, what? Once the Grizzlies get put out the playoffs, I don't. You know, outside of Jimmy Butler and like LeBron to an extent, I really do not care. I feel that on such a spiritual level. I mean, I'm I'm always more of a football fan anyway, and so after the draft, I had a little bit of a die down period and give myself like a mental break. But then since the schedule release, I've been back on it. I've been playing a whole bunch of Madden. I'm looking at schedules. I'm watching press conferences. I'm watching rookie mini camps. I'm all in. So football season, you cannot get here soon enough. But um, again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.